as a young woman, I was living on Union Street in one of the Benedetti's houses. They're the people that own the deli on the corner of Princess and Union. And uh, there's this photograph of me in the back alley dancing. <laughs> and it's against what at the time felt like a really an ancient, ancient building. It was the eighties and so it was less ancient than it is now. But at the time it was like, oh my God, there's some architectural history in my neighborhood, which I always long for as a person. And, and not only an architectural history in this neighborhood where I'm living, but there was a presence of black people. And in this moment, I remember thinking when I was back there, like, I could have been one of those people that lived here then. And I did this little time travel in my mind. And literally, when I look at that photograph, it's like I'm dancing with ghosts. You're listening to an interesting Vancouver portrait. Interesting Vancouver Portraits is an extension of the annual Interesting Vancouver Speaker Series, and it's a podcast about ordinary Vancouverites leading extraordinary lives. I'm Josh G.D., and today, an interesting Vancouver portrait of multidisciplinary artist and community organizer, Vanessa Richards. Vanessa is part of the Hogan's Alley Society. It's a working group of engaged citizens, members of the African-Canadian community, working to revive Vancouver's historic Black neighborhood. They're a nonprofit, and they're working towards community-led planning and long-term land stewardship. The neighborhood was known as Hogan's Alley. The neighborhood was demolished by the city around 1970 to make way for the Georgia and Dunsmuir viaducts. The neighborhood was diverse, but it was known for having one of the largest concentrations of Black residents in the city. It ran along the southern part of Strathcona, this narrow, busy alleyway between Maine and Jackson. There was a great tradition of jazz musicians when they would come to Vancouver enjoying food in Hogan's Alley. There were places to eat. Famously, there was Vi's Steakhouse, Steak and Chicken. There was a number of places to eat, restaurants. There was places for entertainment. There was houses, there was the church, the Fountain Chapel Church. Also importantly, a lot of how this neighborhood became developed and a home space for black people is because the railway was right, a hop, skip and a jump. And so black porters, which in the tradition of the railroad, both in Canada and the United States was one of the best jobs a black man could get in the early 20th century. Um, one of the remaining businesses, though, that is still there is Benny's Deli. That might have been considered on the outskirts of Hogan's Alley, but that deli at Princess and Union has been there for mm, close to 100 years. My grandfather, Hans Patsak, was a substitute English teacher, and he used to teach at Lord Strathcona School during the days that Hogan's Alley would have been there and when there would have been black children at Lord Strathcona. He's not alive for me to talk to him about that now, but um, yeah, he, he would teach there apparently quite often. And my father is a dancer and a drummer, and he remembers going to Hogan's Alley after gigs and enjoying, you know, the conviviality of the neighborhood and being with other black folks. One of the things, though, is that as he ages, he misses black community. He misses the kind of, in Trinidad, they call it liming, that happens. So he meets, you know, he has fellas that he meets and they go places and they do things. And we belong to the Trinidad and Tobago Cultural Society. And there is a presence of 
Caribbean culture in his life for sure. But there's not something like what Hogan's Alley will become. As I understand it, there was a migration out of Hogan's Alley because it had been systemically neglected by the city. They were treating it like a place of little importance and which is one of the reasons it became a slum because they weren't investing in infrastructure. They weren't investing in the kinds of services that makes a neighborhood flourish and feel cared for. Primary services, sewage, water, electricity. So by the time the viaducts came down, the place had been bled dry of services and investment, which is the kind of process cities undertake regularly when they want to destroy communities. And, um, so there had been a, a moving out of aspirational migration, if you will. And then that which did remain, and those who were there and not necessarily able to move, I mean, they lost their homes. They lost their homes, and it's a big green patch of grass and a bridge into the city now. Vancouver lost its historic black neighborhood in 1970. But a few years ago, the city decided that it was going to tear down the viaducts that they had used as justification for destroying the area in the first place. The plan now is to convince the city to support black residents in having control over how that space is rebuilt. Antonia Ogundeli and Wade Compton have been part of the citizens team working with the city on the development of the Northeast Falls Creek. They, um, the Northeast Falls Creek development plan has 11 priorities and Hogan's Alley is one of them. And that was identified through the presence of this conversation for years saying to City Hall, well, we want to talk about Hogan's Alley. And maybe sometimes people were thinking we needed more than a plaque, but what we're going for is a land trust. What we're going for is taking that land out of the commodified realm and the city and prioritizing the development of citizen-run spaces, collective community culture creation as a reconciling with the dismantling of that culture and with a reconciling about how do we do that as settlers from the African diaspora in a good way on unceded territory. We think that there's a way to look at reimagining city life and the right to the city in a way that is unique and could be really powerful, would be very powerful. And what we've been doing to date is that Antonia and Wade said that they, you know, they, they weren't going to be solely responsible for this conversation about Hogan's Alley. So they started to invite other people to engage with them in what they were learning at the city, what they were, they were sharing their reports, they were sharing the process. And we started to have a regular presence of people and an ongoing changing group of folks that just come in, we drop in, we have open houses, we share the information. Of course, there are challenges. How can they redevelop the neighborhood in a way that will conserve the memory of Hogan's Alley? 
How can they do that in a city that continues to be unaffordable, and one that hasn't been particularly kind to Hogan's Alley in the past? We did a charrette with um, Zena Howard. She's the American architect who worked with the British architect David Adjay for the African American Museum of Culture and History in Washington, D.C., and she's done a lot of community-engaged processes for um, city building. She was excellent, really, really heard us. We'd had an initial experience with somebody who wasn't black, who basically wanted to know, like, well, how can we make the place, you know, full of vitality without hearing any of the story, any of the history, any of the context, and it, it wasn't a good fit. So really wonderfully, the city's been said, okay, we got that one wrong. Let's go back to the drawing board to talk about this kind of community-engaged process. One of the reasons we, as a group of citizens, want to really control this as a land trust is to look at when we take it out of the commodification market, we have the possibility to insure people's housing for the long term. And this is one of the things that we want to have is housing that's at welfare and pension rates in addition to uh, different grades of affordability and to have a mixed level of affordability. If you're living on a fixed income, you are welcome and we'll have housing for you. This is our plan. This is our mission. Just talking to three days ago with a very small team of us who are working on the program with Nadia Nascimento, who lives between Vancouver and Brooklyn, and just sitting at the table. She's got a baby in her belly. And just really looking at her belly and knowing that by the time the child is born, we are going to have a space where they can probably show up and not know what it's like to live in isolation, to not be like the one of four black kids out of school or maybe and even if they are they can go on the weekends or after school to a place to work in the shop where they're cutting hair or they're learning how to sew or they're learning about anything they want to know about black life and the history worldwide and they're like they're having an international conversation about their own history in a space centered in our city and so yeah so for me watching Nadia work this process with us, you know, with her tummy full of baby and just thinking about what will it be like to be a black child in Vancouver in 2030, 2040. And that's what we're working on. This has been an interesting Vancouver portrait with Vanessa Richards. This episode was produced by me, Josh GD, with support from David Swanson, Brent McFarland, and Mark Bussey. The podcast is made available by the City of Vancouver, SFE Woodwards, Graphic Designers of Canada, and Creative Mornings Vancouver. Through talks, workshops, and programs, Interesting Vancouver celebrates the people and activities that can only happen in Vancouver and by Vancouverites. For more info, to subscribe, or to get in touch, visit us at interestingvancouver.com. I'm Josh GD. Thanks for listening.